Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you here to episode 20 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode, on the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, I'm happy to address the following. First, why and how to practice the presence of God. This devotion is one I recently wrote about for the Fatima Center, and I'll be going over some of the basics this week, especially since it can go over and really help us as we enter this long period of time, really waiting for the next main liturgical season of the year. Two, I address the octave of Saints Peter and Paul, which we are currently in, as well as one of my favorite of the forgotten, unknown masses in some places. That is the commemoration of all holy popes for July the 4th. And lastly, I address briefly the upcoming feast days of St. Anthony Mary Zakaria and St. Cyril and Methodius, two particular feast days this week that I think we should really call to mind the devotion of these saints and their lives and try to incorporate some of the practices that they lived into our own lives. But first, I'd like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by PrayLatin.com. PrayLatin.com offers Latin prayer cards to learn and share prayers in the sacred language. Learn your basic prayers without spending more time looking at screens. Conveniently carry these Latin prayer cards with you on the go. Share basic prayers in Latin with your family and friends. PrayLatin.com prayer cards are available in various formats, so you can practice your pronunciation with easy-to-follow English phonetic renderings of the Latin words. PrayLatin.com also offers Latin English rosary pamphlets with the traditional 15 miseries. Visit PrayLatin.com today and take advantage of generous free shipping offers on both domestic and international orders. And I do have to personally add that I was very happy this past weekend to be at a conference in Rosemont, Illinois, where I was able to uh, meet again the founders of PrayLatin.com in person, and I can truthfully say that I have seen and I use their cards. I think they are excellent, and I'm really happy to have them as a sponsor. I do recommend them. They're not just somebody who pays for a sponsor uh, spot here. I really do think they're a great product, so please do visit PrayLatin.com today. In the first topic for today's episode, I would like to address a recent article I did for the Fatima Center entitled, Why and How to Practice the Presence of God. Now, with the close of the octave of Pentecost a few weeks ago, we've now entered the long stretch of time in the liturgical year known as the time after Pentecost. Now, this time will last until the first Sunday of Advent, and while we'll celebrate important feast days during this part of the year, like Trinity Sunday and Corpus Christi and the Sacred Heart, which we've already celebrated by this point, as well as the Assumption of Our Lady, Her Immaculate Heart, Her Nativity, Christ the King, All Saints, and more in the coming stretch of this period of time, this continuous stretch of time can seem more mundane than the previous two cycles, that is the Christmas cycle and the Easter cycle, which includes the penitential time of Lent. However, rather than being mundane, we can use this time to truly practice the presence of God as a daily devotion and thus persist in growing in sanctity during these months until Advent. Along with the daily rosary, this devotion is one that can really aid us all year long. So if you're not familiar with devotion, this devotion, now is a great time to start. 
Now, the practice of the presence of God is a spiritual exercise that was promoted by a 17th century Carmelite friar named Brother Lawrence. It refers to the ongoing awareness and continuous acknowledgement of God's presence in one's life, regardless of the activity or the circumstance. Now, there's a book called The Practice of the Presence of God that I would highly recommend. I will have a link to the show notes with my article, and there's a link to the book in that show notes. Now, according to Brother Lawrence, the practice of the presence of God involves cultivating a continuous sense of God's nearness and seeking to remain in a state of communion with Him throughout the day. It's about developing a deep and intimate relationship with God where every moment is lived in His presence. Since God sees all things at all times, He is watching you always. All the sins that you commit, He sees immediately, whether they're in your thoughts your words, your acts, or in your omissions, and likewise all the good that you do and all the prayers you offer and all the mundane activity of your life, your work, your cleaning, your commuting, everything, you are always in the gaze of Almighty God. And Brother Lawrence emphasized the importance of incorporating this awareness into everyday activities, that is, both mundane tasks and spiritual practices. He believed that one could experience a profound union with God in the midst of ordinary life, whether it be washing the dishes or changing the car's oil, studying, teaching, driving, performing any task. He saw these activities as opportunities to connect with God and offer them as acts of love and devotion. I'll have a link in the show notes with my article with more information, including a prayer we can use to practice this devotion throughout the day. Now, the second topic I'd like to discuss is the octave of Saints Peter and Paul. Now, in my episode last week, I addressed some of the customs surrounding uh, this uh, particular Holy Day of Obligation, which is still kept as such in Rome, but has really fallen away in many other places. In fact, as I mentioned, it ceased being a Holy Day of Obligation in America in the 1830s. And the Vigil of Saints Peter and Paul used to be a fasting day, as I discussed as well. Now, what I'd like to discuss today is that uh, per those changes in 1840, Pope Gregory XVI dispensed um, the remaining dioceses from keeping Saints Peter and Paul as a holy day of obligation. So by 1840, it ceased throughout all of America. How, however, um, while this did occur, there was an obligation for priests to continue to solemnize the feast, though, on the Sunday following, that is for American priests to do so. In fact, this was a requirement for priests in the United States to continue to do so, a requirement that continued even through the 1962 Mitchell. Uh Matters Liturgical mentions this in multiple editions. The one from 1959 states, quote, The external solemnity of the Feast of Corpus Christi must be transferred in the United States and celebrated on the Sunday following. This is also prescribed for the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. Uh, which was kept on June 29th, when this feast falls on a weekday. Hence, where on Sundays the principal Mass is usually a sung Mass, on the Sundays following these feasts, this sung Mass in churches and public oratories must, and in semi-public oratories, be of the transferred external solemnity. This Mass shall be celebrated on the feast, with only those occurring offices to be commemorated as noted, even if the Mass is one or two or more different sung Masses, the rubrics 
uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I won't go over some of these finer points, but the point is the Sunday after St. Peter and Paul in America should be kept as the external solemnity of St. Peter and Paul. Unfortunately, I do not see that done very often at all, and I wish more priests were aware of it. I will have a link in the show notes. You can read more about this. So if you are a priest who says the traditional missile, remember to keep this rubric. Now keep in mind, the breviary is still going to be the breviary for this particular Sunday. So today should be kept uh, in churches, as in America, as the external solemnity of St. Peter and Paul at the principal mass. Um, this would not be necessarily the case at the low masses on Sunday, and the breviary is still going to be uh, of the office for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, something that's not mentioned very much. But another thing I want to mention is we are now still in the octave of Saints Peter and Paul. Now, unfortunately, this is another one of the octaves that was a casualty of 1955 when so much was changed and Pope Pius XII removed almost all the octaves. Now, this is a common octave, the octave of Saints Peter and Paul, meaning that the days within the octave, days two through seven, uh, had the rank of semi-double and they yield to all double and semi-double feasts, but have precedence over simple feasts. Um, so in practice, though, the only intra-octave days where the Mass of Saints Peter and Paul would be celebrated would be July 4th. Uh, the other intra-octave days would be outranked by the liturgical feasts already on the calendar. Now, there is some interesting um, liturgical uh, things going on, though, in some areas, because July 4th, is uh, the Feast of Our Lady of Refuge in the Diocese of San Diego. And in some places, like Los Angeles and Brooklyn, it is kept as the commemoration of all holy popes. So when you really get into the rubrics, you see how interesting the church is with these regional differences and these in these different patrons. You see the, the wonderful fabric we used to have that just because there was octaves and it made things a little more complicated, it didn't mean that the church's calendar was so crowded you were only saying the mass of the octave and all the other feasts were dropped. That is not the case. But I did just mention now July 4th is kept in some dioceses as the commemoration of all holy popes. And this is one of my favorite masses in some places. Now, listed in the pre-1962 Missal is this, you'll find in the back, often unknown feast called the commemoration of all holy popes. Now, this was, as I said, a mass in some places, so it was not universally celebrated. In fact, there's very little information online about it. Uh, an Italian source, source, though, from 1719 that I found stated uh, this about it. It said, quote, On Sunday after the octave of the holy apostles Peter and Paul is solemnly celebrated as a double in the Vatican Basilica, the universal commemoration of all of the holy popes of the Roman Church with his proper office granted by the Sacred Congregation of Rites on March the 20th, 1683. Now, it mentioned the Sunday after. Of course, there were a number of changes since this 1719 publication, one of which was not tying so many feast days to Sunday. So this was moved to July the 4th. But for practical purposes, what I'd like to leave people with is this is a wonderful day to pray a litany to all the canonized popes. I'll have a link in the show notes to my article on the customs for Saints Peter and Paul, and one of which is a link uh, to uh, a list of all canonized popes. That is uh, from Saint Peter himself all the way through Saint Pius X. There's 76 popes on there who have been canonized. So while we know that not all popes were holy, uh, not all popes have made it to heaven. Many did. And in fact, uh, as as we also know from church history, you know, was it the first 33 popes were all martyred? 
They all died for their faith. They all serve as a great example of the universality of the faith as well, of the fortitude that we need. I'll have a link again to the propers of that Mass for you to read. But I would encourage you on July 4th, especially those of us in America, it's going to be a holiday here, um, but we should not forget that we are Catholics above all, and that stretches over all boundaries of countries and nationalities and all nations. So call to mind this Mass of all holy popes. I was privileged one year on July 4th to hear a Mass said with with these uh, propers. I hope to do so again, because I think it's so important that we call to mind all of these holy posts who've gone before. So many of them, you'll read the litany, you'll know anything about them, but you can click the links for more information they might not be well-known, but they should certainly be more known as they are. And lastly, briefly going over some of the upcoming feast days this week, two of which I think are really worth mentioning. One is the Feast of St. Anthony Mary Zaccaria from July the 5th. Now, he was born in Italy of noble parents and became a doctor of medicine in Padua. Shortly afterwards, he gave up this practice of medicine to embrace the religious life, and he went on to found the Order of Clerks Regular of St. Paul, which is commonly called the Barnabites. This latter name was taken from the Church of St. Barnabas, the first church administered by him. He also founded a congregation of, of women called the Angelicas. Now, that congregation of women is no longer in existence. He also died at a relatively young age, at uh, only 36 years of, uh, of age. But what I truly admire about him is his love for Christ crucified. At 3 p.m. on Fridays, that is the hour of our blessed Lord's death, St. Anthony would have the bells of the church ring. Jesus' holy name was also always on his lips, and St. Anthony bore the mortification of Christ in his body. He was graced with the gift of ecstasy, tears, knowledge of future things, and the secrets of hearts and powers of the enemies of mankind. He had a really fervent love for our Lord in the Eucharist, and he strongly promoted the 40 hours devotion. Now, uh, he was taken to, back to his home place of Cremona in Italy. He died there uh, at the age of 36 on July 5th, 1539, amid a fellow religious and his pious mother. His mother died shortly afterwards, as well as he had foretold. Now, at the final hour of his life, he was graced by God with a vision of the apostles, and he foretold the eventual growth of his order. And he is buried in St. Paul's Convent of the Angelics at Milan in Italy. And he was finally canonized on the Ascension Day of 1897. And the last saints that I'd like to call to mind this week are the saints uh, Cyril and Methodius. Uh, they are truly uh, great apostles, um, really in, in the sense of the word, because uh, what they did for the faith, really in modern-day Eastern Europe, uh, has really never been done. They, they were actually called the Apostle of the Slavs. Now, they were, um, uh, they were alive around the 800s, so this was still a long time ago. After St. Cyril had preached in southern Russia, uh, they were sent, that is both of them, they were brothers, uh, by the patriarch St. Ignatius as missionaries to the Bulgarians, whom they soon converted to Christianity as well, and they extended their work into Morovia and Dalmatia. On coming to Rome to render an account of their mission, Pope Hadrian II consecrated them bishops. Now, St. Cyril actually died in Rome shortly after, in the year 869, leaving St. Methodius to continue the Apostle alone, which he did with great success in Morovia, Bohemia, Poland, and many of the neighboring countries. Actually, to him is attributed the Slavic alphabet. 
into which uh, tongue he translated Holy Scripture. He died in Morovia on April the 6th, 1883, really worn out by his heroic labors and the long struggles with the enemies that never ceased to persecute him. Now the relics of the two brothers are venerated together in the Church of St. Clement in Rome, and as I have been accustomed to do, I'll have a link in the show notes. So those who want to read more about their holy lives can do so. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm so glad to have reached episode 20 of the podcast. Thank you for so many people for supporting my work, for subscribing. May God bless you all, grant you a most blessed week. Thank you for listening, and let us all strive for greater holiness this and every week, especially by practicing the presence of God. Ad maiorum Dei Gloria. Quid olis peccatamus